Welcome to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. For the month of May, we are honoring Asian American Pacific Islander Month. Each week, members of our church family will be sharing stories that acknowledge and celebrate AAPI history from their lived experiences and the world at large. Bridgetown Church is taking the month of May to celebrate Asian American Pacific Islander Month, or AAPI Month. My name is Kylie Logan, and I'm the Communications Manager at Bridgetown, and I lead the Communications Subcommittee for our Racial Justice Committee. This week, uh, we're going to be talking about Asian American adoption. Um, I identify as Chinese American, and I was born in China, adopted by a white couple in Utah, and I have with me Emily Gross. We're both Asian American adoptees. Emily, why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself? What do you do? What do you identify as? A little bit about your family. Yeah, um, I consider myself biracial. My biological mother is from South Korea, and my biological father is from the island of Saipan, which is in Micronesia. I currently work at a medical network, and I also have an older brother who is adopted from South Korea. Yeah, that's awesome that both you and your brother are adopted from Korea. It's cool that you're able to share that with him and your family. Um, so yeah, what was that experience like growing up um, as Korean adoptees in a transracial home? Um, what was your adoptive parents' attitude like towards your birth culture in the home? How did they celebrate that with you guys? Yeah, just tell me a little bit more about that. So growing up, I didn't notice much of a difference between my parents and I. Um, I grew up understanding that I was different. Um, I always knew that I was adopted from South Korea. Um, my brother, he like from a very young age, we were both aware that we were adopted and seemingly different. Like we knew that we were different color uh, skin tone than our parents, and that we were adopted. But the idea of I guess the thought patterns were, like, the identity of that wasn't um, all quite there of, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm Korean, but I don't know what it's like to not be separate from that. Um, I don't know if that translates at all, but, um, yeah, I think, especially when I look back, I, I see that I identified as a white person in my head because I didn't, know what it was like to be Korean. That culture identity wasn't there. Wow. Yeah, I feel like that's very relatable. I know personally growing up, it was hard for me to feel like I was Chinese. And I remember when I was younger, I just really wanted to be white. Like, I, I just remember, like, feeling, oh, man, I wish I was white. Um, and so there is, like, I feel like there is this layer of internalized racism mm -hmm. that comes, like, racism against our own mm -hmm. selves that comes with being like the only one in our families and in our friend circles and school. Um, yeah, so what has this journey of reconciling your birth culture and adopted culture looked like for you? The journey has definitely not been linear like most journeys. It's been a lot of confusion, um, a lot of backtracking and searching the internet. Um, mainly because there's no template that someone gives you on how to be a certain way. Um, I feel a lot of imposter syndrome when I'm among other Asians, especially those that are Korean. So I tend to avoid 
those crowds because I feel like they can tell, they can sense that, oh, wow, she's really white. And those kind of descriptors or those kind of words are actually super hurtful. And I think in the same way of someone is um, from a Korean cultural family and say they go to Korea and the Koreans there, they're like, oh, wow, you're so white, you're so Korean, you're not very Korean at all. I I feel like that type of feeling is could be, like I could claim that as like that's the same type of identity that I feel of not truly being something. Um, but I get really excited when I meet another Korean. I'll try and seek them out as weird and strange as that is. Um, it's, it's like a way of me claiming my identity. Um, and a lot of that are, like, I, I feel like I've been sinking, or not sinking, but just I've sat in a lot of lies of who I am and allowing those lies to tell me who I am in terms of not being Korean enough, not being Islander enough. And like, we can all agree that those are, it's total hogwash. It's not, there's not a thing to be enough of. Wow, yeah, that's powerful. I feel like what you were saying is very relatable um, for any adoptee that finds themselves in like a a transracial family. Um, So earlier you were saying that as a kid, you didn't feel Korean or like you didn't feel Asian, even though you knew you were. And then you were saying as an adult, you were trying to be more conscious of the lies about your identity that you were believing and trying to claim your ethnic identity as a South Korean Micronesian woman. Um, So I'm curious, how has your cultural identity evolved since you were a kid? And how did you get to where you're at now with that? How I evolved? I care more. I didn't have an awareness of why heritage mattered, but as an adult, I'm still trying to figure all of that out. But I'm more sure that this is something that I need for myself. In reference to your second question, I would say when our modern civil rights movement started to take off, which is primarily led by Black men and women, I started to become more aware of how I, as an Asian woman, take up space in society, but also what my place in society is. And especially seeing the uptick in violence against Asian bodies in the last several years, um, it's forced me to think about my identity even more. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel that myself with, um, I just feel like the perception of Asians in society or in, in American society, I feel way more aware of what that entails, Um, whether it's like stereotypes of Asians, like model minority, or just this idea that Asians are like a compliant, quiet, like keep your head down, work hard, don't make a a scene or make a fuss um, kind of people. And then just like the the uptick in violence against Asians. Um, I feel like that has also forced me to have to know what I think about myself and and where I fit into that equation. Um, so yeah, how has the rise in AAPI violence um, and even the the extra space for Asian voices in like movies and Hollywood and stuff? How has that changed the way that you view yourself in the last few years, if at all? Which I, I think 
you kind of alluded to that already, but if you want to expound on that. Yeah, the violence against AAPI has, it's a mix of scaring me and then emboldening. Um, not to say that I am fearless in the face of violence, but I feel more emboldened seeing other Asian men and women who stand up and are, say, frankly, just coming out and calling it out. Um, it makes me feel not alone in, in my fear. And then seeing more Asian bodies in Hollywood or just in mainstream media, that has made me very excited. It makes me feel, again, more emboldened um, because we haven't seen those before. We haven't seen an Asian man as a main character that isn't Jackie Chan kicking some major butt out there. And it's really cool. Granted, it's fairy tale butt, but it's really cool to see. And then we see Aquafina out there. She's voicing dragons. Um, we're even seeing more Asian stories come out in the media, um, everything, everywhere, all at once. That was um, as strange of a movie as that was. It, was just, it felt so good to see uh, an Asian woman as the main character. She wasn't a side character. She wasn't the best friend of um, some romantic tale. She was the main character and she was also kicking booty. Yeah, definitely. I agree with everything you're saying. I think media representation has also helped me feel empowered to own my identity as an Asian. And it's also a space that I've been able to see Asian-ness modeled for me, especially given the confusion of ethnic identity growing up in a, a white home as an Asian and not um, also not having other adoptees to look up to since I feel like adoption was or Asian adoption was kind of like um, boomed in the 90s when we were adopted. There mm -hmm. weren't a whole lot of other older adoptees out there that I could talk to. Actually, I hadn't met any mm -hmm. until like recently that were, you know, of a different generation. Um, so yeah, I, I just feel like with the rise in Asian voices and representation in media, I feel like Americans... Americans are finally ready to listen to Asians, whereas um, before I kind of felt like there wasn't really a space for Asian voices and, and my own voice included. Um, I did feel like a sense of being silenced. Um, and also through therapy, I realized how um, internalized a lot of that is, like yeah. the feeling of being silenced. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just about media representation, um, but yeah, as an Asian woman, as a, a girl who's born in China, um, in the 90s, they had the one-child policy, as a lot of people know. And so when they would have a girl, often they were disposed of because they were aiming for a boy. Because if you can only keep one, you know, they were like, well, we'll keep the boy. So girls were often disposed of, which um, since it was a closed adoption, I don't exactly know what the circumstances were of my birth and adoption, but I think I've always carried that with me, like the idea that girls, Asian girls or Chinese girls were disposable in a sense. Um, and so I feel like media representation actually has given me permission to feel like my voice and my presence in a space as an Asian woman matters to people. And I also feel like the more that I've drawn near to God and um, the further I've gotten in my discipleship to Jesus, I feel like the more he's 
um, prophetically spoken to my identity mm. as an Asian woman and affirmed mm. that. Um, like, I remember I was at a worship night and I actually had this image mm. of God as an older Chinese man. And it <laughs> struck me. I was like, oh my gosh, I have never imagined God as anything but like an old white guy if I had to like picture him in my mind. And so that was like really powerful for me. And so I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like I've just experienced a lot of healing in the last few years. And I think part of that is like my discipleship to Jesus, but also like this moment we're in as a culture in America. So I'm curious, sorry, I've been talking a lot. I'm curious how has that journey of faith intersecting with ethnicity looked like for you? Because it's not, you know, uh, linear um, and it's different for everybody. So I'm just curious what that has been like for you. Wow. I'm just trying to gather myself, just tearing up over here. Um, first of all, I've never heard that story about you sharing God as a Chinese man. Um, that's beautiful. Um, wow, that's really powerful too. I would say that spiritually, I, I've come to this understanding that there are so many different ways and facets in how people experience God and the Trinity. Um, that it's, there's not just one way, like the American way. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a room full of Koreans praying, but it's, uh, it's loud and it's passionate and it's absolutely beautiful. It's something that is definitely to be desired um, that other people can look to and how other people um, play their drums or just worship with instruments. It's, a different type of worship that's absolutely beautiful. And um, I think God loves it, if I dare say. Um, it's, again, it's just a different facet in experiencing the Lord. And definitely, um, yeah, I, I don't have much to say on the matter, except I agree with you in, in God showing more of who we are, our, our own identities, um, when you ask him, He'll tell you. And also experiencing God within those different cultures is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I feel like what you just described is the expression of the multi-ethnic kingdom of God, which is, you know, that's like the, the creme de la creme of what we as followers of Jesus are like working towards is um, making earth look more like Heaven, And I think that that comes through, you know, Koreans worshiping in their own language, in their own way, mm -hmm. and then also like having space for that as the body of Christ. So that's beautiful. Um, yeah, thank you so much for chatting with me and being willing to be vulnerable with all of us on this podcast and sharing your story. And um, I know I personally have just been so grateful for your friendship. Um, and I feel like just knowing another Asian adoptee has given me a space to process and feel a sense of belonging. So thank you so much for um, not only sharing that with me, but also with all of the rest of us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been such an honor and a joy to get to hear different AAPI stories this month. This is the last week in May, so uh, this concludes our AAPI podcast series. But 
Uh, as part of our continued celebration of Bridgetown's multi-ethnic identity, we will continue these conversations in the fall as we honor Hispanic or Latino, Latina Heritage Month and Indigenous Peoples Month. Thank you for listening. To learn more about AAPI history, Oregon's racist past, and Bridgetown's vision for the future, visit bridgetown.church justice.